Hello and welcome to another mini-sode. Today we are talking about mergers, acquisitions, and the consolidation of healthcare services in America. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hutchire. And this is Rural Health Rising. So, J.J., we uh, saw some interesting information come out, I want to say, in March. Um it is a from Treasury.gov. Yes. It is the State of Labor Market Competition Report. Correct. And one of the places that it discusses is competition in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get into what that study revealed and what it told us, um, what are we? What have we been seeing as far as mergers, acquisitions, consolidations? in the healthcare industry in the last two years, let's say. Yeah, so I can tell you that it's surprising because we have been, you know, obviously monitoring and following the uh, M&As, as they call them, merger mm-hmm. and acquisitions, mm-hmm. uh, for over a decade. And it's concerning, and, and we've shared on this podcast before why it's concerning. Typically, uh, mergers and acquisitions of smaller hospitals end up leaving those communities devastated. Lack of uh, services, uh, ambulance services are transporting patients to quote-unquote the mothership, mm-hmm. uh, we end up with the whole economy of those communities tanking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have story after story, uh, community after community, where we can prove that this is the truth. Uh, and also looking at the quality of services that are being offered and the health outcomes of the people the residents who live in those respective communities. Uh, And we watch exactly the relationship of a closure and poor health outcomes. And so, you know, that's for all of the reasons why we have been promoting, you know, keep our rural communities, you know, vibrant. And you do that through ensuring that you have an important piece of the puzzle, which is healthcare. Uh, Companies, businesses, organizations do not want to relocate to communities without healthcare. hospitals primarily will in rural communities be the second or third largest. We get that Mm -hmm. employer. Uh, We fully understand that that's a relationship, but it is a much needed economic driver for those respective communities. For example, in Hillsdale, we generate $70 million back into the local economy Mm -hmm. through wages, cars we purchase, products we buy. Uh, Now, if you remove that from each of our rural communities, our communities suffer financially, Mm -hmm. economically, Comma, the most important for us, uh, the patients suffer. And so we have, you know, really stood up for rural health. Now, um, so we've been monitoring that over the course of the last decade. And then all of a sudden, COVID happens Mm -hmm. and something interesting happened because I honestly thought that the M&As would be skyrocketing Mm -hmm. because I really thought, well, hospitals clearly realized that they couldn't make it during this period. So clearly they must be uh, merging or being acquired by big health systems. That was not the case. Mm -hmm. We did not see that. In fact, I was celebrating privately and then publicly uh, Mm -hmm. about some of the stats that I was seeing. In fact, that uh, the numbers are lower than predicted. Now, remember, the predictive model came pre-COVID. Right. So it's not like... It's not shocking that they would be lower than predicted. It's just how low were they? And was that surprising? Right. So, So they were low. And I think, you know, so then I got reflecting on, now, wait a minute, I guess that does make sense because most hospitals received the provider relief funds. Mm -hmm. So they weren't looking toward an eye of merging during that period. There was a safety net. There was. And I think whether it was, you know, for a year or a year and a half, hospitals really focused on two things. Number one, taking care of patients through COVID. 
Uh, the second issue is looking at their cost containment for how can we do this. And with the provider relief funds, it helped them with their cost structure and mm -hmm. also provided them the availability to keep hospitals open longer. Now, we're coming out of the pandemic. Right. And before we talk about that, I think, you know, the research that you and I both have looked at, why don't you talk to us a little bit more about what the findings were? Yeah. So the thing about this that I found interesting is, um, well, for one, it affirmed some of the concerns that we have had. Um, but you've often said on this podcast before that when these big systems come and say, oh, we want to partner with, <laughs> which really means acquire sure. Hillsdale Hospital. And you say, OK, well, what's in it for me? What have you done for me lately? Right. right. Um, and often the answer is, oh, well, access to capital. <laughs> For yeah. us in Hillsdale, that's not a concern. For other rural hospitals, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that is often pitched to the public is quality improvement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're right. We just recently uh, here in the Midwest saw the merger of two <laughs> very large hospital systems not located geographically no. close to one another. There's no a significant <laughs> gap between them Absolutely. in terms of their service areas. Um, yet those two merged, yeah, consolidated. They, they were already systems in and of themselves, and now the systems have become a system together. They have. Um, and that has been the primary sell is quality for patients. Mm -hmm. Now, there's also been a lot of skepticism that that's really going to happen. Um, and, you know, there has been criticism that is this really going to do anything for patients? How is it going to impact the cost of care? Um, and are we really looking at more of a situation where these two systems with all of their patients are going to have more control, more buying power, yeah. more negotiating when it comes to prices yeah. and what they can charge? And setting prices. Yes, exactly. You know what was really interesting out of that, Rachel, before you move on on, on some of the stats is, you know, I really when, – when the Biden administration – uh, started announcing mergers and acquisitions. I'm going to tell you that early on, believe it or not, the Biden administration was against mergers and mm -hmm. acquisitions. I remember uh, celebrating early on, you know, some of the comments that were being made that they were going to come under strict scrutiny, mm -hmm. you know, from the Department of Justice. And so what happened here in Michigan is an example of a fast track yes. of a merger it's just unbelievable. Right. And I should say an acquisition, but ultimately merger acquisition all all in this particular situation was all in one. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's interesting because the Department of Justice, you know, had made statements in the Biden administration mm -hmm. specifically uh, that these were going to be upheld, you know, and that these, you know, were going to be vetted and that these were going to have to go through a significant process mm -hmm. of determining the two factors. Number one was that they're not creating a monopoly. Right. Right. Uh, and that was the, the first, I think, element of mm -hmm. really determining do we have a federal violation and, you know, a monopoly can be argued in in this particular case, but mm -hmm. I, that's not my job. Right. Um, but when you set prices and and whether it's price transparency or not, you're setting prices for the region now, right? Right. It's not just it's just not just your small little town. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about two hospitals that come together, two big systems, uh, in total opposite direction of each other, uh, that is where you kind of raise the eyebrow. So I was very surprised that the Biden administration did not put more energy and effort into really at least vetting that, you mm -hmm. know, and I'm mm -hmm. that's just me. It's not politics. It's not partisan politics. I'm just saying I was very surprised that it happened so quick, which means 
that since that did, so goes Michigan, so goes the United States, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if the Department of Justice is not interested Mm -hmm. uh, in vetting that process, how that's concerned. So consolidation for, you know, obviously price fixing or, and I'll be careful how I say that, but monopoly Mm -hmm. behaviors is enough of a significant concern to the Department of Justice. But then the other side of it was patient access, care, quality, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes what happens in these quote unquote sell jobs is we we want to walk away from the 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 transparency issue of pricing and monopoly and we want to focus all of our attention over here into this you know quality because that's what people are talking about right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's of grave concern that a system can come in and set prices and negotiate with payers that I can't negotiate with because I have no negotiating power. Right. That's the concern, really, that's at the heart of this. So so very surprised, even though the numbers were down during the pandemic, what the Michigan merger, I feel, revealed is that the Biden administration is not going to take a deep look at mm-hmm. these types of, and I think that's going to set us up for a lot of takeovers. Right, right. In, in, throughout the United States. Well, so here is some hard hard data and hard facts on that. So um, despite a growing population, this is a quote directly from the State of Labor Market Competition Report from the United States Treasury. Despite a growing population, the number of hospitals decreased from 7,156 in 1975 to only 6,093 in 2021. So a loss of roughly 1,000 to 1,100 hospitals despite a growing population. That's followed up by the conclusion that empirical evidence is suggesting that as these consolidations have happened, we have seen the prices of hospital services Mm -hmm. increase without meaningful evidence of quality improvement at the same time. Correct. So the claim or the um, the common kind of PR defense mm-hmm. for the mergers and acquisitions or for the larger systems buying smaller hospitals of, oh, we're going to improve the quality. No, out the window. This is not being seen. No. Um, and that's Measured, a major, monitored, or even reported. Right, right. It's this a, isn't it's us. It's a major concern. Right. So the other financial factor to consider and to look at is the wage growth of skilled workers um, in the healthcare industry yeah. as these hospital mergers have happened. Um, and that's why this is being put out by Absolutely. the Treasury as the state of labor Correct. market report, right? This is the healthcare hospital section of that. Yeah. So it has to go back to the labor market. So um, what has been concluded uh, here as well is that the mergers that cause the largest increases in hospital concentration, meaning the mergers that m- cause the most number of hospitals Impact. to all be yeah. under the same umbrella, yeah. essentially, the, right. the biggest motherships that yep. are formed, yep. um, cause wage growth to slow among skilled workers, nursing, pharmacy workers, but mm-hmm. particularly among nursing and pharmacy. Um, so it's concerning not just for the cost increasing without an improvement in quality mm-hmm. at the same time. The wage growth of those skilled workers who are taking care of those patients mm-hmm. is not keeping pace. It no. is slowing down. They can cap it. So you're seeing a 
okay, we're not going to pay as much. We're not going to increase wages over time right. as much as what was being seen before. Right. Also, we're going to jack up the prices. Um, and you really have a serious problem within the United States healthcare system. Yeah. And the other thing I think that's interesting, JJ, that I was just reading today um, on the North Carolina Rural Health Research Center's website, um, I kind of went down a rabbit hole because they've published so many mm. good um, <laughs> pieces and, and studies lately. But uh, it would appear that um, even though rural hospitals often have a higher percentage of total net patient revenue that is paid by Medicare, the total cost of outpatient services paid by Medicare is a smaller Small, percentage for rural hospitals yes. than it is for larger yes. hospitals. That's our battle. Which to me, I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking, okay, federal government, why are you paying more in the end? Yeah to these larger systems and larger hospitals than to rural hospitals as a percentage of the services that we're providing. <laughs> now, that merits further study. Um, there are questions about, well, is that because costs could be higher in rural because you don't have as many economies of scale mm -hmm. or you don't have as much local access to certain high-level services and that could in incur higher uh, charges? But um, that all kind of comes back to, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? Absolutely. Right? Um, but it makes it even more frustrating when you see these mergers and acquisitions happening because they are getting paid a higher percentage right. of their total cost. They're decreasing their total cost or, I guess, slowing the growth of their total cost by by the wage growth slowing for their workers. And at the same time, they're increasing prices for they everybody. Are. They are. Absolutely. So two points that I would like to comment on, if I may, please. Uh, first, when you talk about the ceiling that is set, essentially, when uh, a merger acquisition occurs, because then what we have seen through the study, this isn't ours, this is mm -hmm. a federal study, uh, is that wages are almost capped, let's call it that, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And um, the, I, I was really amazed that during, not only did I not hear from the Biden White House uh, regarding the merger in Michigan, but I didn't hear from the nurses associations. I really thought for sure that there would be picketing and, and I'm being honest, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. thought there would be, you know, scathing letters to editors, board meetings, public meetings, because there has to be a public meeting, right. would, would just be nurses unions and SENA unions and labor unions. Mm -hmm. um, that did not happen, which really I scratched my head because I knew that this was the outcome. Right. Not only do you have almost a cap of sorts set on wages, rarely are they bringing them up and mm -hmm. when they're, whenever mm -hmm. there's a merger and acquisition. Uh, what you also see is that there's also a loss of administration jobs. Yes. And services what they call are centralized and centralized services. JJ, my um, experience working in a health system before, I saw that firsthand. Absolutely. I saw I've it seen happen. It. And you you had firsthand knowledge. I've never mm -hmm. had firsthand. Yeah. My, I, that was the situation that my the person I was reporting to yeah, directly, yeah. Um, that job was absorbed yeah. into the centralized um, ad administrative Absolutely. functions. And so there's no, I mean, because here's the deal. The, the, all right. So you would think, well, that's not a bad thing. They're saving money. No, nothing changes. Their reimbursements are still what they're, you know, high. They're, they're still right. charging the patient the same amount. It's just now, you know, there's a different cost structure you got to mm -hmm. pay for. Mm -hmm. You got, you know, you've seen some of these CEO salaries and my friends are not going to like me talking about this, but, you know, major organizations and major health systems, you know, 10, 15, 20 million dollars plus bonuses mm -hmm. e equal an upward of 100% of that. And so, Rachel, that's how we get to those numbers is there, it's not that they're eliminating uh, the positions and creating 
cheaper prices for the patient, right? Right. Or that you're going to have lower co-pays. That doesn't happen. Right. In general, we still see the pricing increase. Yes, you see the price increase. And the concern is, obviously, you know, that for a labor market, for for these organizations, you know, as they as they get to set the cap on those, right? Mm-hmm, they get to say mm-hmm. this is what there is, and so that impacts all of us, right? Every one of us in in every hospital system operating in that respective community mm-hmm. state or whatever it is, uh, we're also subjected to now watching the market, mm-hmm. and so so that's you know of grave concern that I did not see the volume of labor unions. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I advocate for them, as you right. know. I am just saying that these are the times when you would kind of scratch your head thinking, you know, it's going to eliminate positions of, mm-hmm. of my colleagues that I've worked with. We're going to have probably, generally speaking, flat wages for a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quality outcomes are going to be worse for my community in which I live. Um, what is the purpose of the merger and acquisition? Oh, access right. to capital synergies. My favorite word. Right. Um what do I get out of that? You know, are we saving more lives? Mm-hmm. Are we reducing the cost structure? No. Are you know, and so those are all the major concerns associated with a merger in an acquisition. Now, the second area is when you start talking about the sheer power that can result from hospitals that merge who also, Rachel, have their own health plan. Yes. Oh, their my own insurance goodness. product. They have their own insurance product. So I, I, I again. So they're now the healthcare provider. <laughs> they're the payer the because payer. they are the insurance yeah. provider. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's an interesting that's setup. That's an interesting setup. Let's just call it that. Yeah. Because you would then begin to wonder wait a minute. So the two largest systems come together. Now they have the largest health system, you know, product, health product. Right. You know, they are dictating to the payers. What's mm-hmm. going to happen? Well, and now my question is, who's really fighting for the patient? Because you don't have the benefit anymore of the, you know, conflicting interests because the interests are now all the same. Absolutely. When it's consolidated in this way. It, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up, that the consolidation is not just of hospitals into more hospitals and this giant blob no, of hospitals no. now existing. It's also the insurance product. The plans. And that's not really talked about a whole lot. No. And, you know, with plans. So we we have to participate with a lot of health insurance plans mm-hmm. that are, in other words, hospitals that own the insurance product. We have right. to participate with them, right? right? So what do you think their take on Hillsdale Hospital, 100-bed hospital, out in the middle of nowhere, rural community? Do you think they're setting at the table giving me any type, any type of concessions? Not no. happening. Mm-mm. They dictate what it is that we're going to be reimbursed. Now, well, and especially when some of these are direct competitors to the health care that we provide. Number one direct competitors. Right? They are in the competition for exactly the same thing I am, the covered life of the patient mm-hmm. to take care of that patient. So, so it seems like just so many things on the surface that just make you pause and say, well, maybe they should enter caution, which is what I thought was going to happen under the administration, but it didn't. And then when you get into it, it's even more gaping, especially when reports like this come out from the Department of Labor saying that there is no real defined uh, opportunities and benefits for such mergers and acquisitions when, in fact, it does all of these things that we've just described. Well, and to your point about the um, the Department of Justice 
and the antitrust regulations and ensuring those are being followed. This report says while the antitrust agencies have the authority to challenge hospital mergers, such enforcement efforts are resource intensive and not always successful. Absolutely. So, you know, it's not an easy process. Um, And also states may have laws that um, seem to supplant federal antitrust laws in terms of how regulations are set up that can make it easier for hospitals to consolidate. Um, And, you know, again, if the resources aren't there, it's going to be limited oversight and limited investigation of what is really happening. Um, And, you know, the pace at which hospitals are doing that Mm -hmm. creates, you know, even more strain, which, you know, again, haven't seen as many of them lately, but it'll be interesting to see as we come out of the pandemic how that might change. Are we going to see more mergers and acquisitions? Are we going to continue to see less? I would guess we're going to see more. I agree. We're going to see it go back up again because well, for all the reasons. healthcare is really having to reinvent itself it as an industry and function in a new world, um, and it's going to be it's going to be tough. Well, especially Rachel, let's say that sequestration, you know, is not upheld, and the two percent is. Uh, not given to hospitals any longer. You mm-hmm. know, that was uh, something that was very beneficial, especially to our hospital. The, the pause on sequestration. The, the pause, yeah. yeah. So let's say that that happens. And then let's just say, you know, which it has, all of the provider relief funding is done. You right. know, and especially right at the height of the U- Ukraine war, you know, there was conversation that uh, it would pause forever. And the Biden administration made that clear, said that all the, the money really yeah, that's done. We are. And, and we knew as an industry, all right, we are focusing on some other right. <laughs> important national and global projects. Right. right. We're not so, expecting that level no, of a safety net to be there a, forever. You may get a safety net of a state, you know, like Michigan's doing some some things with their dollars that they had mm-hmm. originally received under, you know, the, the act. And so there is some opportunity there, but it's not nearly what is needed to sustain a lot of these hospitals. Right. So it doesn't fix the systemic problems within rural healthcare. No, no. The payers, the you know, the complexities, uh, the infrastructure, the mm-hmm. aging infrastructure, you mm-hmm. know, to buy some of this equipment, you know that. Oh yeah. You know, MRIs millions of dollars, mm-hmm. you know, robot, three million bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these things, if you do not have working capital, you can't purchase them. Right. And so then you are behind in technology mm-hmm. and then the competitor they'll They'll eat your lunch, man. Mm-hmm. They will take it right off the table. Right. And they will say, uh, we're going to, to communicate in your community. We're going to advertise in your community that we offer these services now. And then you're done. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I, I will anticipate that because of the provider relief funds that have been removed, sequestration, whatever happens there, potential loss of 2%, uh, and with what hospitals are facing with, you know, aged infrastructure and pain wages for nurses that are almost double mm-hmm. than we ever would have dreamed of paying, right? Those didn't just go away. Those wages are still existing today. Right. We, and then we had to adjust the entire organization with wages. Right. It right. wasn't just making a nurse change. We had to make the change for Cena and we had to make the mm-hmm. change for mm-hmm. environmental services. Yeah, because so, you have wage compression absolutely. one direction, you know, or yeah. the other similar right. issues of wage compression when you have More to cost. also increase yeah. market rates. And, right. And all of that. And we expected to see the price for traveling nurses go down faster than it has been. And it really, it's still not back to pre-pandemic levels. It's going to be interesting to see what that, you know, 
trend line continues to look like. But it, it will be interesting. Right. And we will continue to be watching this issue as we always do and uh, bring more information to you as listeners of Rural Health Rising um, over time as we just kind of keep an eye on this and see what's happening, how it's affecting rural hospitals, how it's affecting rural health care, and ultimately how it is affecting the health of rural Americans right. whose ability to receive adequate health care should not be dictated by their zip code. Absolutely, Rachel. Thank you for joining us for today's mini-sode. If you have a topic or issue you want us to cover on a future mini-sode, shoot us an email at marketing at hillsdalehospital.com. You can also find Hillsdale Hospital on Facebook and Instagram. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO, JJ. Rachel's at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow our podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com.